was in conversation with a friend of mine who attends our church. And it seems from our conversation, last week was a pretty important week for us, I think, spiritually in our church. Something happened I did not anticipate, and I think it was good for us. Several people, several of you responded, and it was even better to see others in the congregation pray around those people that came forward. There's been quite a lot of dialogue between myself and other people during the week. The backstory is that um, the night before, for me personally, was arguably the worst night in many years. Uh, I have, if I have diabetes, and so uh, you have to monitor that all the time. And I did everything right, and twice in the night it crashed. <laughs> Uh, once at midnight, so you get up, you eat, you take a shower, and you go back to bed. And then once at two o'clock, it happened a second time. And I, I couldn't, this time I could hardly get back to sleep. This time I just put a hoodie on and crawled under the covers and shivered till four in the morning and then came here. I was starting to talk to the Lord about 4.35 in the morning, asking him why he did not get involved in the night, Friday night, Tuesday night, that's fine, but not Saturday night. Uh, And then partway through that prayer, I remembered that Daniel once prayed for three weeks and heard nothing, silence. And finally, when a messenger of the Lord showed up to Daniel, he said, I was dispatched three weeks ago to talk to you, but I've been involved in a struggle and I could not get here. That's the first time it occurred to me that maybe more was at stake than I thought. This was not going to be an ordinary morning. It was going to be a fight. It was not until the end of the first service, while I was standing down here with my hands on a couple of people that were praying, and Judy came up and prayed, and then Jeff Clark came up and prayed, and as they were praying, the people that I was praying with We're crying, crying. And as uh, Jordan went into her song the second time, I heard the people that were crying start singing. And it felt to me, like in the words of Isaiah the prophet, that God had lifted the spirit of despair and had given them a spirit of joy in its place. And when I left here... After the first hour, I knew then that it was in fact a struggle. And I knew that today as always, God had won. Thank God for the work that he's doing in our lives, in your lives, in the life of our congregation. Because even though there are people and forces resisting us, everything we try The one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Is that right? So God works his work in spite of the opposition. Thanks be to God. Now today I have to address something that is sensitive Uh, I'm going to talk about money, uh, and I do this with great risk. Every time I do this, uh, people get upset and leave, or they write. I'd rather you write than leave. 
because they typically say all you talk about is money, even though it's been three years. Uh, Really, I checked. And the board checked for me. Uh, And they are, you're easily offended at that. So I'm trying to teach if I can this morning. And then at the end of the morning, I want to talk specifically about the mission that our church is on. Is that all right? This has been a growth area in my life, church. It's, uh, it's something that I started out not really being good at and not caring. And then one day I came across the teaching of Jesus. And what Jesus said is that where my treasure was, my heart was also. What he said was that my treasure was at the center of my spiritual life. It was not tangential to it. Wherever my treasure is, that's where my heart will be. And wherever my heart already is, that's where my treasure will be. By heart, all Jesus meant was the seat of my affections, my desires. It's the, my habits over time. My dispositions, all of these things flow out of my heart. And so what he was saying is, if you look at the things that you desire, things that you want for yourself, that's probably the same place where most of your treasure already is. If you're in college, you value education. So you're spending 35, 40 grand a year on guess what? Education. Whatever it is you love, you'll put your treasure in that place. Then the thought occurred to me, what if I gave my treasure to the place I want my heart to be? What if instead of following my desires, I led them. Would feel like I was a hypocrite at first, loving one thing, funding something else. But over time, if Jesus is right, my heart would catch up with my treasure. And I would learn to love the things I was treasuring. Is this making sense? This leads us into the story of the widow in the courtyard of the temple. Jesus said, she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. He said, everyone else gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. And so she actually gave more than everyone else who gave out of their wealth. He sets her up in contrast to the Pharisees, who when they came to worship were motivated by external things. 
They wanted people to think well of them. And so, said Jesus, they dress in long flowing robes. And even when they come and they worship, they always are thinking about the people that they imagine are watching them. Somebody in our church, it was Deb Luttrell, who first said to me years ago, you'd worry less what people thought of you if you only knew how seldom they do. <laughs> but in their minds, they're the center of attention. And the woman is exactly the opposite. She slides in to the court of the women. She can't go any further. And she takes all that she has and she puts it in. Little bit of background. The courtyard where the women could gather had 13 receptacles in it. They were called trumpets because they were shaped like a trumpet. They were like metal. Think of an old gramophone. <laughs> if you're over 40, you know what that is. It's a bell-shaped trumpet without the record player underneath. And there was 13 of them all around the courtyard. And everyone who came into the temple had to come into this courtyard first. And so they would go buy one of these trumpets. This is the best I could do. <laughs> so what was happening was the Pharisees were coming in and taking advantage of this moment to show people how generous they were. Whenever you took your coins and you put it, and the word literally means threw it, not put it. They didn't place it. They literally threw it. It would make a noise. So they, and this worked beautifully. So they'd come in and they'd go, That's got a nice ring to it. <laughs> and then she came in with two lepta, two pennies. You hear the difference? Let me do it one more time. This is all my change. Are you ready? Them? And Jesus said, she gave more. That ought to tell you two things. One is that there's a whole new economy out there that we know almost nothing of. Things do not weigh the same in heaven that they weigh here. And two, the way into that economy is through giving. It has to affect the way that I give. So a couple years ago, I drew a triangle. It looked like this. In fact, all triangles look like this. <laughs> Well, you guys are in a mood this morning, aren't you? 
I called it a pyramid of giving. And it, it came out of the way that I was studying in the Bible, the giving patterns. First, I started looking for words like offerings and tithes and things like that. And what I noticed was that throughout the Bible, the words are used interchangeably. So you can't just look at the word and figure out what they're talking about. You have to look at the context. And so I started studying the context. And what I noticed is that there appears in the Bible throughout Old and New Testament at least three different kinds of giving or three different ways in which people gave. The first kind I called a tithe or an offering. The tithes or the offering uh, start in the Old Testament. Jacob said, of everything the Lord has given to me, I will give back to the Lord a tenth. But in, Levit but in Leviticus 27, it says, make sure that you give a tenth, a tithe of all of your grain, of all of your fruit, even of your herds and your livestock. Now, the thing to remember about the offering, this is super important, is that the amount is established by the deity, not by the individual. And it's given to a place where the Lord's name dwells. Deuteronomy 12 says, you shall take your offerings and tithes into the place where the Lord establishes his name. In other words, there's an altar there. So what makes the offering the offering or tithe is not the amount only, it's where it is given. It's given to a place where the Lord's name is established, where there's an altar. And so the purpose of giving a tithe or an offering is to bond a person to the Lord their God. He has called for this, and out of reverence, out of gratitude and out of obedience, I give back to God what he has called for. He set the amount, not me, and he has established the place, not me. What I get out of it is, I get taken into closer union with my deity. Tracking? All four of you, that's good. The second level is called a gift. Again, the words are interchangeable in the Bible. But gifts occur whenever God is doing some kind of work in the world. So for instance, when Moses is building the tabernacle in Exodus 25, it says Moses shall collect from the people whatever their heart prompts them to give. That's not a set amount. It's just saying you and Yahweh determine what that amount will be. So when David builds the temple, David started out by saying, I have given my possessions for the building of the temple. That was the offering. But then he said in 1 Chronicles 29, in addition to what I have already given, I now give more of my treasure back to the temple. Do you see what he's doing? He's moving to another category. The first is what God called for. The second was what God moved his heart to give. So the purpose here and the amount is established by the individual. 
What drives the offering is that it's given to a place of an altar. What drives the gift is that it's given to a cause or to a vision. Which leads to the third one. Sacrifices. Once in a while, God will speak to a person in a way that is highly personal. It's intense. And he will call that person to do something that he doesn't expect anyone else to do. And so sacrifices are not meant to be standard practice for everyone else. Neither is a gift. But offerings established by God are. You're starting to track? So when David in the Old Testament wants to build an altar, he wants to buy the land. And the guy who owns the land says to David, it's in 2 Samuel, he says, I'll just give you the land and you can build an altar to Yahweh. David said, no, no, I, I have to buy this because I, I won't offer to God anything that costs me nothing. When Jesus approaches the rich young ruler who has kept all of the laws in the Old Testament, Jesus says, there's still one thing you lack. Go sell all that you have, everything, cash it in, and give it to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. He never asks that of everyone, but he asked it of him because Jesus knew that the obstacle to that person's life was his possessions. So it's why he put his finger on his possessions. Jesus said, in effect, if you wanna grow, then you have to unload your possessions because that's what's holding you back. Not everyone, but you, and you have to let them go. Well, the man couldn't do it because when Jesus said this, he kept thinking his possessions was something Jesus wanted from him. No, no, this is something Jesus wanted for him. This was an upgrade, but he couldn't get there. So he went away sad. The widow in Luke is right here. One could argue that when she came into the temple, she owed a tithe. But Jesus said she put in all that she had to live on. She did not have to give that. In fact, the temple was supposed to take care of her. She's a widow. And she ends up taking care of the temple because she has something with her and Yahweh that no other person in the room has. 
some of you in the room need to start here. You just need to set aside an amount every week. First, you have to decide that, um, that what you do with your possessions is at the center of your spiritual life. And instead of following your desires, you want to lead them. And so what you'll need to do is to just say to one another, what amount can we set aside that we give to the Lord regularly out of principle? It's first. Others are going to have another conversation where you say, um, this is something that God is doing in our lives right now. And these are the people he seems to be blessing. How do we participate in what God is already doing? How do we play? Jesus said the Father's always working. So what's he working on? And how do I even give more to that? And there's a few in the room that might have to have a third conversation where you say, um, what would it take for us to reorient or reprioritize our lives? The offering is what the Lord requires of you. The gift is what the Lord is calling for on any particular day. But the sacrifice is what it's costing you personally. And this is why the widow is a sacrifice. She puts in everything she has and goes home to who knows what. It's unwise. It's unsafe. And it is certainly uncalled for. Unless... God calls for it. About eight, nine years ago, I was standing right down here in front of the altar. It was after an Ash Wednesday service. And a fellow um, named Ross Hoffman, he was a friend of mine, member of our church. And Ross was standing in the back there at all the seats. You guys were all gone home. And God was doing some things in Ross's life. I could see it every time I'd meet with him. Um, and all of a sudden, he came walking down the middle aisle and he starts in a rant about something he has seen that was new to him. I just remember him saying, right about in the crosshairs there where you're sitting, Cambria, he stood there and with his arms flailing, he said, Pastor Steve, things are not as they seem. There's a whole new economy out there. I remember him saying it. He said things that we think are super important aren't, and things that we have just treated like trivial mean a ton. So he started to reorient his life around that principle. Called a meeting in his house one night. 
with about eight, 10 people there, raised $77,000. Some of you might have been there. With that money, he went over and he started drilling wells in Africa because he heard that whole villages in Africa had no clean water. Then he called me on the phone and he said, I think we ought to meet for prayer. I thought, well, I'm the pastor. Aren't I supposed to be asking for that? (laughs) He said, could we meet every Wednesday morning in the chapel before staff get there and we'll just pray for God to bless our church? And then he opened up his business and he started hiring people that came out of prison. I remember standing in that business the day after Ross died, tragically. And one of the people that he hired just started the week before. He looked at me with tears coming down his face and he said, I'm an ex-con, man. Nobody gives us a chance. But this guy, he hired me. Then he mystified. He looked at me and said, Pastor, who does that? I thought, widows and people like them. People who live according to a whole new economy. He came back one day and he said, Steve, what we have in front of us are not opportunities. These are responsibilities. God has put in front of us right now people that we are supposed to care for. So can I take about three minutes and tell you about the people we care for, at least part of them? Nod, that would be polite. (laughs) Some of the people that we care for are in public schools. So we have about 80 mentors we send into public schools. Some of you are in that group and you spend half hour to an hour with them every single week. These are kids that are high at risk, kids who've been identified by the schools And you advise them, you play with them, you counsel them, you help them do their homework. And did you know, according to the Indianapolis Star, that when you do that, you increase the chance that they will graduate by 77%. So if you're one of them and you seem to just be doing it right now automatically and you wonder if it's having any impact at all, know this that you're almost doubling the chance that that child graduates. And if that child doesn't graduate, he will cost the state of Indiana on average $900,000 by the time he leaves this world. So even if you don't like children, you like money. You're making an investment in children's lives that you will never see. Thank you. We started a thing about a month ago called Club Splash. Every Wednesday, some of you are involved in this. There's about 80 children come and they go upstairs. And do you know what we do? We give them real short courses, three, four weeks, that's it, in every subject from dog training that's important, Jill, (laughs) to writing journalism, to decoration, 
to computer coding? I don't even know how to do Second graders smarter. To science labs. We had a couple of our people a couple weeks ago were teaching people fire. How to blow stuff up. In a good way. Now I know you're all worked up about this, but here's the thing. We are all pushing our children to be the best in something before they even know what they want to be. So what this allows them to do is to explore multiple interests with low commitment, high impact opportunities. Maybe they'll like this. We started a thing called Wonder Space. It's a portable PlayStation. They were yesterday at St. Paul Missionary Baptist Church, old church in our community. Stephanie told me this morning, they had 110 families, not children, families come into that thing in six hours time. And they had deacons, about four of them from St. Paul Missionary Baptist, standing, walking around the groups, the families saying, you know, you know, you're welcome here anytime. That's a beautiful thing. We've been talking about bringing churches together for years in this city. I never would have thought a PlayStation might be the way to do it. So far, we have about 140 teenagers, and they meet across the parking lot every week. The building that they meet in holds 140. Do the math. They have 12 discipleship groups. The building that they're meeting in has zero classrooms. So they meet in closets. They meet in IWU buildings. Thank you, IWU. And on bad days, they put up cardboard boxes and meet behind that. This has been happening for years, and we've never complained. Out of an after-school program, which has about 40 junior high kids streaming into Body Shop every week, they've started a thing called Crossover. It uses basketball to teach kids life skills. Because while higher education is certainly an important component, it is not the only kind of education. There are other kinds. And a lot of the kids that we're reaching may never end up in college. And we want to give them life skills eight of them, because there's eight panels in a basketball. It all makes sense now. So that when they graduate, we can release them, certify them, and vouch for them. According to the Chamber of Commerce, 80% of the small businesses in the city of Marion say that their greatest challenge is the workforce. The people that are applying lack either the skill, the ambition, the character, or the social skills. 
where are they going to get this? So one of the things we're called to do at this time in our church is something with Body Shop. That's for the city of Marion. We want to open it up, not only to our church kids, but to the community as well. If you come once a week on Sundays, you may not know this. There are over 700 events in this church in the course of a year that are not connected to College Church. 700. That's almost two a day. They did the mayor's debate in our church. And because it was in a church, it shaped the debate. They, we stood up before the debate and said, while this is not a college church event, you should know this is taking place in a church. Therefore, let your questions and your attitudes and the way you treat one another reflect the qualities of the building you are in. Let's proceed. I was in a board meeting that night. I stepped out of the meeting. I went into the chapel. While the debate was going on, there were six candidates. And when I stepped in the back, one of them started to make an answer. And when they made the answer, the other three candidates, three of the other five, looked down the line. They started to laugh at the one who gave the answer. All I did was stand like this. And I watched the three candidates in the middle of their laughter go. <laughs> Note to self, architecture always wins. When you pick the room, you've shaped the meeting. Subliminally. We want to do more and more and more and more of that. We want our church to be a place where the city comes to solve its problems. Yes? Two other causes, and I'm going to let you go. One is in Mexico City. If you think we're making disciples, holy cow, people. These guys had about 45 people in their church 10 years ago. They have over 400 now. And watch this. In the last five years, they've planted five churches all around Mexico City, the third largest city in the world. They are making disciples left. You know, Alex, he's been here four or five times already and preached to you. And while we put a roof over their building, they're ready for the next stage. And as partners and friends who are in this with them, we want to help them do it. Don't you? It's not just their problem. When they succeed, we succeed. And so when they need it, we need it. And so part of what we're raising, we're going to release to Mexico City so they can, for the first time in their lives, have a classroom to meet in. They don't have any right now. They have one classroom in the sanctuary and Alex teaches it. The other and the last one is in Sierra Leone. This is where Ross come in. We partnered with Sierra Leone and um, as we started to do this, World Hope called us one day and they said, we're, 
We have a conference center over in Sierra Leone that we're trying to remodel. We don't have any money. And we know Ross Hoffman was a member of your church. And we wondered if College Church would like to contribute towards the renovation of a conference center so our ministers and training have a place to stay. Would you like to contribute? We felt because Ross Hoffman was a member in our church, we should pay for the whole thing. So that's what we're gonna do. This initiative is costing us $2.7 million. It's coming from multiple sources. Emily reported last week that so far we've asked about 60 people. I've been in some of your homes. Thanks for letting me in. You knew why I was coming and you let me in. Terry Monday has helped me and from the 60 or so people that we've talked to one-on-one, -on -one, we've raised just about $1.4 million. Uh, the good news is that there's still about 600 giving bases in our church that have not yet given. So you like our chances. But the bad news is that in those 600 giving bases, 42% um, of them, I don't know who gives what, by the way, give on average less than $10 a week. That's almost half of our giving bases. That's not half of our audience. That's half of our giving bases. 90% of everyone who gives in college church give on average $31 a week. 38% of all the money that comes in in the course of a year comes from only 6% of us. Some of us need to have a conversation at home about offerings. We need a figure that we're not in control of, that God has set. Every time I give whatever's on my heart, whatever God lays on my heart, I never worry about God. I worry about my heart. And so we need God to tell us what we should lay aside every week or month in order to bond ourselves with our God. Some in the room might have this conversation. You're already having this one. And you might say, we've seen what they're doing. We believe that God is active. What is God calling us to do above and beyond our regular offerings to the church? Because we believe in it that much. And finally, I've been praying that more of us in this room would have this conversation. Maybe like us, Lori and I, you will use this campaign as a lever to move the rest of your life in the area of finances. Maybe you'll start moving your treasure 
where you want your heart to be.